Our scripture this morning is from Hebrews, the 12th chapter. As we come to the end of Hebrews 12, we continue our study through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, beginning with with verse 18, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God, is a consuming fire. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your holy word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear your voice, that our ears would be open, that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be open, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, and hear his voice, and know him, and follow him, and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. The place I belong. I reckon it's sacrilege to use Johnny Denver lyrics for a sermon title. But that's the message of this passage. There's a place where we belong, a place where everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs. The place our text calls Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We belong in heaven, but even more immediately relevant to us at this moment, 
we belong to heaven. Once again, in this chapter of Hebrews, he is encouraging us to press on, to keep running the race, to keep the faith, looking to Jesus who endured the cross for the joy on the other side. And remember, many of these people were thinking seriously about just giving up on Jesus, on the church, on the faith. For some reason, they were, or for some, they were under uh, pressure, persecution. Others were uh, just weak and uncommitted. Others were just plain scared. So he's telling them, don't turn back. You know those words? Those country roads take me home to the place I belong. That's what he's saying. There's a place you belong. Don't dare turn aside from the only road that will take you home place I belong. Let's look at it together. First in this passage, we see a better place. A better place. Look at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now here he's describing a scene from Exodus 19 when Israel came to Mount Sinai after they had left Egypt. The people were instructed to wait at the foot of Mount Sinai to wash their clothes and get ready because the Lord himself was going to descend. He was going to meet with his people on the mountain. On the third day after the Israelites got their instructions, the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. Mount Sinai was shrouded in smoke and it shook. A trumpet blast from the mountain grew louder and louder and louder and the people had been strictly warned that if anyone or anything, man or beast, touched the mountain. They were to be stoned to death. When the people got that close to God, they felt the rumbling of the earth and heard the deafening peal of the trumpet and saw the mountain covered in smoke. They begged Moses not to let God Speak to them. They said, you speak to us and we will listen, but please do not let God speak to us or we will die. Even Moses trembled with fear. So there's the picture. The people have come to meet with God and it is a terrifying, experience that's where they had come now look at where he says we have come 
Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Not to the physical city of Jerusalem, nor to the physical site of the temple on Zion Hill, but you have come to the real thing, to the heavenly temple, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, if you've been following along, as we've worked through Hebrews, you will remember that he said in Hebrews chapter 9 that the earthly temple on the earthly Zion, in the earthly Jerusalem, was a copy of what was in heaven. So now, why does the author draw a contrast between where they are now, the heavenly Jerusalem, with the experience of the people in the wilderness at Sinai? Let me ask it differently. Why doesn't he compare the heavenly Jerusalem and Zion with the earthly Jerusalem and Zion instead of Mount Sinai in the wilderness hundreds of years earlier? Almost seems like he's comparing apples and oranges. Here's the key. This is what he's dealing with. The people are making the assumption that older is better. They were Jews. Then when Jesus came, they converted and became Christians. Now they are thinking about leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism. And the author is saying here, if you want to go back, go all the way back. Don't go back to Jerusalem and the temple. Go all the way back to Moses. If older is better, then go back as far as you can. The instruction for Israelite worship were first given through Moses at Mount Sinai. If you want older, go all the way back to Sinai. He's showing the folly of rejecting progress. That is the progress that God brings about. You see, what began under Moses, all the instructions for worship was moving toward an intended goal. It was all designed to bring the people finally to heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The joyful worship of all the holy angels, millions of them, and spirits of all the righteous who have been perfected in the holy presence of God. Contrast that joyful picture 
of heaven with the terror they felt when they got close to God at Mount Sinai. But that's where the journey began. It's a continuous highway from Sinai to the tabernacle at Shiloh to the temple at Jerusalem to Jesus all the way to heaven. And he's saying you've come so far don't Turn back now. Whether you're five years old or 95 years old, we all heard, or maybe if you're young enough, you're hearing now the same lecture from our grandparents or our great grandparents. Hundreds of years ago, people heard the same lecture from their grandparents about how much harder they had. You know, your grandparents were born in a humble log cabin that they built themselves and walked to school 25 miles. It was uphill both ways. They were so much tougher than you are. But they did have a point. They did have it harder than we did. And the author is saying, you have it so much better now than they did then. Why on earth would you want to go back? That is not where you belong. In fact, it's not even where they belonged. They belonged where you are, but they lived at the start of the journey. You were in the place they wanted to be. A better place. Secondly, in this passage, we see better blood. Look at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and of the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, for the longest time, I wondered why here he mentions the blood of Abel. He's talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Why does he bring Abel into the thing? You know, Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, who was murdered by his brother Cain probably at least 2,500 years before Mount Sinai. Well, again, the assumption is that older is better. Under Moses, we read back in Hebrews 9, everything was sprinkled in blood. If the people were going to leave Jesus and go back to the sacrificial system under Moses, they would leave the blood of Jesus for the blood of goats and lambs and bulls, blood that had no power, blood that only and always pointed to the real blood, the blood of Jesus. Again, he's saying, if you're going back, go all the way back. 
go back to the first blood shed in the Bible, the blood of Abel. When Cain murdered Abel, what did God say to Cain? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. The blood of murdered Abel cried out to God for vengeance, for justice and retribution on the one who had shed his blood. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He bore the justice, the vengeance we deserve that we might receive mercy. There is no forgiveness outside the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus backed up the animal sacrifices under the Old Testament. Moses could not be saved without the blood of Jesus who was to come. His blood cries out for mercy for all who believe. So he says, do not trample on the blood of Jesus, which is exactly what you'll do if you turn back now. So we see a better place. We see better blood. And thirdly and finally, we see a better kingdom. Look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. These people have gone through a great shaking down. They were raised Jews. And when they came to Jesus, everything changed. No more sacrifices, no more temple worship ceremonies. Ultimately, the temple itself was destroyed by the Romans. And their family and social structures were shaken down when they came to Jesus. And when we go through a time of being shaken to the very core, whether in our personal circumstances or national circumstances and sense that our nation is being shaken to the core, or whether in our church or family or Whatever, when things are being shaken up or shaken down, we tend to get nostalgic for the good old days. And he's saying to these people who have been shaken to the very core and are getting nostalgic for the good old days. You know, they were being shaken down back then too. 
the whole earth shook at Mount Sinai. God shook them down because he was moving them towards something better. And now he's shaking it down again. But there is something. There is a core principle that remains. The same reality at the core from Abel to Moses to the temple on Mount Zion and now to Jesus. It's the same. And the substance of it is Jesus himself and his kingdom. God has been shaking things down so that what is eternal and unchanging might rise to the surface. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We already belong to the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled into heaven. To God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And one day, there will come a final shaking down where not only the earth but heaven itself will be shaken. And when it comes, there will literally be nothing left but that perfect eternal kingdom of God. The way in the only way into that kingdom is through the blood of the king. The blood which cries out for mercy on all his people. The great and final shaking down is coming through the blood of Jesus, the mediator of the covenant. When all things are shaking down we may enter that joyful and eternal festal gathering. Outside the blood of Jesus, without the mediator between God and man, we will only meet the God who is a consuming fire. The way of the cross leads home. The blood of Jesus leads home. He himself is the new and living way. And his kingdom is the place we eternally belong. So he says, see that you do not refuse 
him who is speaking. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.